We are in the midst of a New Year's little mini-series here because what we normally do if you're visiting with us is we go through a book of the Bible. We are going to jump into a book of the Bible, a book of the Old Testament. If you want to read ahead, start reading Judges because that's where we're going to head. But we take the beginning of the year to talk about some things that are central to our very being. So I went running last week. I know that's a surprise. I mean, I shouldn't say running. I should say stumbling. But the other real surprise, it was raining. I mean, Bellingham, when does it ever rain? So there I was running and running and running and running and slowly and slowly and slowly, I was getting drenched, like water coming off my cap, water soaking through my clothes. I had one of those supposed to be waterproof things on. Good luck. All through, just wet, drenched. That's my hope for you about our core, the core of our life. We talked about it last week. What's our core? It's a high, high view of the Bible. It's, it's Christology and soteriology. And you're like, boy, those are big words. Then it's just this. The Bible actually says Jesus saves you. He forgives you and it worked. That's true. We go to heaven by trusting Jesus. We live our life by trusting Jesus. So what comes out right away is how does that work? How does it play out? And everybody wants, well, what do I do if that's true? I get it that that's true. I get that that's the message of the Bible. But how do I actually work it out? And so we talked a lot about that being the message last week. If you missed it, check it out. I want to talk about this way. We're calling this core dynamics. I know. I love exercise. And you've now going, no way. I'm going to hide. I made you do pinky workouts last. I'm not making you do any workout today. I just want to talk to you about how... This central main thing that drenches us plays out in life. It's got to be robust enough, our theology, to handle mundane, normal things and surprises. That's like my wife. She's vacuuming the back hallway of the church this week. Normal, mundane stuff, living in Christ. How does the, the gospel work out as you're vacuuming the church? And then all of a sudden, I get a phone call from her. Get down here right away. There's this dark, big thing that jumped at me. Wasn't a spider. It was a black squirrel. It was in the back. We chased it all around. We're banging and it was in this room. I'm sorry. We tried to clean, make sure, but then we ran it out the front and it got away. Freedom. But when surprises happen, the gospel's got to work too. This idea that because all of us, things happen to us that we haven't planned. How do we think through the core? How does this permeate and drench the very things that we do? That's what I'd like to talk to you about this morning. I'm just going to talk to you about it in a, in a couple of areas because, because here's the thing. When I turn on the Christian radio, when I listen to so much of what is Christianity, they're not, they're not helping me. They're not connecting the gospel that I know, the core that has to permeate everything. In fact, generally, they're pushing me away from it. Your pastor gets super sad for you who sits under these things and hears these messages all the time that aren't right. And I want to pull you back to say, no, if you agreed with me last week that this is our core, then let's talk about how it works, what starts to happen. 
as we live in this life that's by, by, by trusting Jesus, uh, grace alone, faith alone, the things that we talk about, yeah, 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 we believe it. But if we believe it, then how does it work? And so that's a little bit this morning. I, I, I just get, this is life, so we could just keep talking forever, but there's a football game on later. There's, then that's not, I'm just joking. We'd stay here all day if we needed to. But it, there's a couple pieces I'm not sure we'll grab. We may have to extend one more week. We'll see. I want to talk about it in terms of two areas because two areas that you're going to struggle with and we can struggle with together through our whole life. One is what about sin? How does this mess with me in terms of my sin that I continue to struggle with? And the other one is growth. How do I grow? Because if you're a Christian today, you're thinking, man, okay, I got saved, but now I want to grow. I want something more. What does that look like? So that's what I want to talk to you about, this dynamic that you and I are in. So this first one in our core dynamic is what do we do with sin? So our core, right? Jesus saves us by his work alone. He has forgiven all the sin any of us has done or will ever do. If we trust him, right? We just trust that that's true. That's the statement of the Bible. So... How does this work? Let me give a little example. So in come your Christian parents. You, um, they raised you. This is a, it's not real. I'm just trying to play with the reality of how this is going to work. So they know the truth. They helped you read the Bible and they sit you down over dinner and they say, they tell you, we're getting a divorce. What do you do? Well, you condemn them because they're sinners. You can't get a divorce. That's sin, mom. They know that divorce is bad. Right? That's the law. The law condemns them, and it's true. They're sinners. If you get a divorce, that's sin in the Bible. But you know something, you and I, who are walking in this core. You know what? We're all sinners. Right? I mean, this gets real really fast. You say, Dax, I don't, no, no, walk through with me these things. Here, look at Paul, right? We, we looked at this last week. Paul says this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That's just saying, hey, listen up. Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. So Paul, when he's talking to you and Paul gives lots of instructions in the Bible and he's telling you, telling you stuff, he's thinking of himself as he says these things that he's the worst. I think we miss that almost immediately when we start talking about the gospel. We start thinking, no, it's, it's about me not sinning. But you realize that every thought that you ever have isn't exactly what God's thoughts are. Everything that's not of faith, the Bible says, is sin. It does? Yeah, that's Romans 14. Whatever doesn't proceed from faith is sin. I sin a lot. Every time we get angry wrongly, every time we're impatient, every time we don't love perfectly, which is all the time. Whenever we take things into our own hands, everyone, a sinner, after conversion, after we prayed the prayer, as I interact in this world, I continue to struggle, I continue to sin. Here's First John 1. He says that that's why if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. That's just saying, hey, yeah, over and over and over and over and over and over, the law says you'd be perfect, and we're not. And the, law's, the law, though, that's not our core, right? What's our core? 
Jesus saves me. I trust his righteousness. What does the sinner in Christ need to know? They're forgiven. Right? That's the radical statement. Jesus forgives you. He he does so in the most incredible way possible. He shed his blood for you. That's amazing. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That's Romans 5, right? God shows his love for us, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So, So there's this new dynamic around sin that permeates me because of the gospel. This is super important. I, what I call it is, is, and we've talked about it before, but it's, it's, it's entering into confession and absolution. Those are big words. This is the church to the ages is called it, not from a priest, but among us. That's first John, right? So, so here's the verse after John 1 8. The, if we say we don't have sin, we're, we're liars. If we confess our sin, that means speak it out. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'll tell you, this cuts against the most common man-based religious way people think about sin, which is God forgives it when you get over it. If you'll stop it, then God will say, oh, okay, I'll forgive it. Doesn't say it, right? That's not what he's saying. Repentance is a good thing. Repentance says, I'm a sinner, and I realize I'm a sinner. I'm sorry that I'm a sinner. I'm sad that I'm a sinner. It doesn't say, now I'll be perfect. Remember how Jesus said you got to forgive people how many times? Twice. Wait, it was three times. Oh, man, it was 70 times. Seven, Matthew 18, right? And that just is a marker for forever. For the same thing. What does that imply? They didn't get over it. How does that fit in my theology? It fits right in. Why? Because I know what life is about is forgiveness. I know that if I'm going to have any hope eternally before God, it's in the forgiveness of Christ for me that it worked. And then I'm going to turn around to my brother and say, it's not working for you, bro. Get out of that. No, I'm going to say, hey, that's sin. Yeah, I know. I just can't do it anymore. Wife can't. You know what you need to hear? Jesus Christ forgives you. There's forgiveness in his name. That that's, that's amazing. That's incredible. That, that's the reality of what we're living in for you and I, where real life is. That doesn't take away the reality that sin is bad or sin is wrong. It just says sin is forgiven. And that's our core. So you start living there and you start saying, wow, that actually makes some practical difference in how I'm going to think about what my life is about and what I'm doing with my life. Because the reality is for most most of the ways we construct religion, sin management is a way to control you, to make you feel bad and continue to do things that, that, that they push you towards, to put you on a ladder that says the goal of your life is to conquer your sin. It's a hamster wheel. Have you seen one of those? You will not. How do I know that? That's our, that's our core. Jesus forgives my sin, not I conquer my sin. If I could conquer my sin, I wouldn't need Jesus. You don't become Jesus, you receive Jesus. This is radical stuff. It's unsettling 
But when you start thinking about how this works itself out and I'm drenched in this and I, I believe it, this is my core and I'm holding on to a core, then I have to say that what starts to happen in my life and what I want to see happen is just the reality outflow is that I'm a confessor and a giver of absolution. I'm somebody who says I sin and somebody who gives forgiveness to other people. Not because I have forgiveness to give, but because I know the one who does. I know Jesus. Jesus is awesome. The absolution is Jesus forgives you. And if Jesus does, you might want to too. Of course, I'm a sinner. It's hard for me. I need, I need forgiveness for that. And so if you think about the power of this, if you find deep agreement with this core truth that you're able to say to parents who are deeply sinning in our little example and angry and guilty and shamed and at each other, you can say truly and open-heartedly, you're forgiven. That's otherworldly. You can say it to your own spouse. You can say it to your child. You can say it to your coworker. You can say it with any sin you can imagine. Jesus forgives you. Infidelity, lack of love, impatience, coveting, lying, improper sexuality. Jesus forgives you. That's my core. You can't move me from that. It's amazing. This objection comes up, you know, don't you need to tell people their sin? Of course you do if if they don't know. Because sin is terrible for people. It's like saying, let's say, why, you're shooting yourself in your foot. Why are you shooting yourself in your foot? No, I'm having a great time. No, you're not. It's bad. It's not good. So, but 99 times out of 100 people know. People know the Bible says don't sleep around. People know the Bible says don't get drunk. People know the Bible says don't get divorced. People know they shouldn't be angry wrongly. They shouldn't be selfish. They shouldn't be whatever. And they lose sight of what they lose sight of isn't, isn't that the Bible says those things. It's that they're forgiven. You're forgiven. Your head can be up. Oh, it's amazing to taste the wonder of forgiveness outside of you. To receive it, right? That the goal of our life isn't to get out of the sin, though in this temporal life, your life will go better temporally before you die, before you're resurrected, if you avoid sin, because sin is bad. So no worry. Hey, sin is bad. We're not talking, I'm talking about your core. I'm talking about where you live. You don't live in sin management. You and I live in sin forgiveness. This is how it works. This is what Christianity is. It's absolutely amazing. I use divorce as an example because it's an easy and clear sin. I, I had a dear friend, a man many, many years ago, he left his wife. Tragic. He knew, he knew it was wrong. He's a Christian man. Confesses Christ still. Just couldn't do it anymore, said. Had another dear man that I know who was a friend send him a letter just writing down all the things that tragically he was hurting people with. How horrible it was and harmful, harmful to his children, harmful to his relationships, ruining his financial whatever. Tough, terrible things over and over how bad it was. Sent it to this guy. All true? Yes, all true. You know what happened? Got divorced anyway. Why? 
He already decided that was doing. She couldn't do it anymore. You know what else happened? The guy that wrote the letter got divorced two years later. You cannot say the guy who wrote the letter, at least, didn't know. You can't say either one of them didn't know that sin was bad, that God didn't want him to, that that's evil and don't do it. You can't say that because we know, we know that sin is bad. Sin is bad. What did he not get? You're forgiven. His life didn't end. He's still around. You're still walking and you're still living under the reality of, okay, I'm a sinner. What do I do now? Well, I remember when you did that horrible thing and how it wrecked your life. Can I put your nose in it again? The only way you could do that is if you didn't have any sin. What does Jesus say about that? Get the log out of your own eye. Because the gospel is, there is therefore now, you know the words, no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. My my life is built on nothing else than Jesus and, and his righteousness. Paul's statement that we just heard earlier where he says, I'm running after him, striving to make this my own. What? That my only goodness I'm ever going to have is never in anything I do, but only in what Jesus Christ has done. And if I live there, of course when I sin, I don't want to sin, but I do. And the permeating gospel says, I hate it this way. Jesus Christ forgives you. You don't hear anything in that of, and you better clean it up or he won't. You don't hear anything in that of, and you better overcome that or maybe you weren't really his. That's not our core. Our core is Christ alone. Any other theology is a theology based on you and what you do. We trust Jesus and we put no confidence in the flesh. Okay, so the law continues to point out your failings. Of course it does. The whole time you're on earth, it will be right. It will even be that your life will go better in this kingdom on earth before you die, before Jesus resurrects you, that your life goes better by holding to principles and and those things. And you can talk wisdom, that's fine. But in the kingdom of God, that you're united to Christ, we live by trust and trust alone that he paid it all for us. And that's what we're practicing in our body. So that's that's a core dynamic around sin. It's not about sin management. It's about sin forgiveness. And and we're there because we're all sinners. And we continue to sin even though we confess Christ. And so we need that reminder and we come together to remind each other all the time. So let's talk for a minute about about the next other piece, which is, that's fine, Dax. I get that sin still happens. I get that I need forgiveness. I get that. I need to speak it to each other. What about growth? How does this work for me to grow? Because I think that my life is I want I want to grow. I don't just want to stay the same. And I prayed this prayer. You know, I prayed to receive Jesus when I was eight. Some of you guys did it earlier. Some after. I, I don't know. But 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 I've been a Christian a long time. I sure hope and I long that I've grown over that time. I didn't just okay. Pray the prayer. Okay, you're in. Now do whatever you want for whatever. And it's just gonna blah 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 blah. I'm not eight anymore. I think different things. I relate to Jesus even in a different way in some ways. I've grown. 
What does that look like? What is it? And it's holding to this core. And, and so this, the way people normally think that the goal of our life is from the time you become a Christian until you continue to, to get to heaven, until you die, is that the goal is that you would do good works. You would do good stuff. The reason they say that is because of how they're taking certain verses like this one. This is Ephesians 2.10 for we're his, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So it becomes this. Okay, fine. You, you got saved and you prayed a prayer and now what you need to do is start working on doing more good things because that's what God wants you to do is to get them done. We take this as God wants us to produce. It's kind of like every other idol that ever man has ever made. You remember Molech or remember one of the, that you do stuff in order to appease your God. He made you to serve him, so serve him, work for him. Not seeing that our core, our very core, the thing we say is true that I live in is that Jesus Christ serves me. Unworthy. Don't, don't, that's not, I'm in a position of power. It's one of my favorite parables in Luke. It's talking about we're waiting for the, the, the servants are waiting for the master to come. They're just waiting because when he comes, he's going to go in and change his clothes and come back and serve them. It's amazing that Jesus Christ said that. Anyway, this idea of growth, it gets marketed as a growth plan. You need to grow in personal goodness. People put in various plans. They put them in front of me. I don't know if this is my example. Maybe you've seen some of this stuff. I mean, a lot of times it's called discipleship. In our culture that sells a lot of literature and books, they want your money. They call it Christian living. Means of growth, means of grace, increasingly read your Bible, increasingly pray, increasingly go to church, increasingly serve, increasingly deny yourself, do what Jesus would do. You used to wear those bracelets, what would Jesus do? You ever say WWJD? I just want to say what has Jesus done would be better. WHJD? You gotta just change one letter, you're there. What has Jesus done? Anyway, get an accountability partner. Get a mentor to help you attain these goals of really growing. And, and, and this is growing as a Christian, and it presumes something that's far away from our core. It presumes that what God is after for you is to produce something or to become something here on earth. I know you. This sounds pretty good because we all grew up in it. Most of us, but, but if we take a core dynamic, which you've agreed with me already last week, we, this is our core, what Jesus saves me, I just trust him. My entire hope is not in personal growth, but in death and his resurrection of me. The death of me and resurrection in the future. That's what Paul's talking about in Philippians 3. That's what we, we read just a little while ago. Was, hey, and how, not that I've already attained this, what resurrection from the dead? Jesus is going to make you something remarkable. I trust, I live now trusting Jesus has paid it all. The verses we love, 2 Corinthians 5, for our sake he made Jesus, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In this union that I have, I'm the righteousness of God because I get Jesus' righteousness. Whoa. And, and I think this is coming. Here's 1 John 3. Beloved, we are God's children now. Just a statement by trusting Jesus. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. When's that going to happen? 
when we see him. He's not talking about a vision. He's not talking about bad pizza or dream. He's talking about Jesus coming back. And when you see Jesus coming back, you will be changed. What does that mean? No more sin. What does that mean by corollary? Right now, brokenness, sin. That, that's what it means, right? There's nothing I have to do. I'm going to be resurrected. Peter, First Peter says that I'm, chapter 1, it says that I'm being kept right now for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last day. Kept by what? Not by works. Kept by God. Okay. So, so, so you say, I, I get that, Dax. I get it's nothing I have to do. I'm going to be resurrected by the power of God, but I want to grow. Yeah, you need to grow in this trust of Jesus, of this message of moving away from self-improvement, of trusting Jesus' finished work. That's what growth is. That's what maturity is. And, and that's what, because so turns happen in your life that you don't see, that you don't see coming. Death comes, suffering comes, things come, and they push you. And, and, and if you're not saying, my only hope is Jesus, pretty soon your only hope will be in getting out of that stuff. Because you see how that changes your activities even? I read my Bible. Read your Bible to do what? Find Jesus. Think about what he's done for you. Think of this core message. Pray because he's alive and active and I'm dependent always upon him. I come to church because I take communion again to remind myself of the gospel, to hear the Bible preach that forgiveness is real and Jesus forgives you. This is growth. Growth is entrusting the finished work of Jesus. Maturity is seeing that you're not in charge ever. Jesus is. He's alive. He's at work. And you say, well, Dr. Shane, there's nothing to do. No, actually, do anything. To just get outside that box of you. It's not about you attaining something. Because our whole core is that Jesus paid it all. There's nothing for you to pay. But you're alive. Do stuff. You, you realize, you really, if you think about your core, right? Think about this idea that Jesus paid it all for you. You've been given the greatest gift ever. You're in a gift culture. Give stuff away. Find somebody to give to. Find somebody that has a need and bless them today. I see it happening all over. It's the Holy Spirit at work. But, but, but really, if you start thinking, well, I gotta do something, then think on the wonder of your core and play it out in, I've been given the greatest gift ever. Wow, I can enjoy my life. I can bless somebody else. I can do other things. I can I can do crazy stuff. I think it's really fun to reflect at the amazing gift that you and I have been given by giving to somebody else. So so have them over and feed them dinner. Not because you're working on your hospitality. But because it's cool to give somebody a meal. How cool is that? I mean, if you know somebody has a need, put some money in an envelope and stick it in their church mailbox. Even better, f- find their, their porch at home. Drop it by. I said, oh, advance yourself in the kingdom of... No. Because you start getting touched with, this is amazing. I've been given the greatest gift ever. And I'm not asking God to give back to me more as I give him or there's some sort of seeding God's generosity towards me. This is a, a saying, I really believe this core message. I just live. And so you start living in it. You don't have to. It doesn't make you grow. 
I'm just responding to the idea that, oh, you're saying don't do anything. You're going to do something. You're alive. At the very least, I know one thing about you for sure that you're going to do. Absolutely for sure, 100%. You're doing it right now. You're going to breathe. Take it in. You're exemplifying that the only life you have, you have to take in. Because without that breathing in, you die. Our only life's in Jesus, huh? Way to image it, you guys. Really cool. You're good. You're doing this because you're like, God starts to do stuff. It's so important because so often what people are trying to do is advance themselves somehow. They think they're supposed to improve and do a bunch of stuff that God wants them to do. And I was reading a book this week that proposes we're constantly dying to ourselves and then resurrecting right now. I want to see this person who's resurrected right now. He should glow or something. You're not resurrecting right now. When we see him, we're going to be changed. We live right now by promise. And and that sort of approach is just more actions that are aimed at making you do more and evaluate yourself and, and will somehow think life is about your growth and good deeds. What are you doing when you're doing all that stuff? You're in this box called self. Evaluating yourself. It's a great comedy routine. I can't do it. I wish I could. I'm reading Self Magazine while looking in the mirror at myself and doing myself from over just sitting here trying to do the best me possible. It's all about you. Stop. What's my core? It's all about Jesus. Jesus. Jesus did it all. He really did. Your real life, the only life that matters, is the life that Jesus gives you by his love for you. He forgives your sin and promises you life. And all you do is trust him. That trust that gets to grow is not just for heaven. It's also that he's using you now, right? Because this is the common objection that comes up when we say that. You're just saying, let go and let God do nothing. No, I'm saying trust Jesus that he's at work. I'll tell you, the world sneaks in on you and me. Here, Here's the objection I, I hear quite a bit. I need to maximize my usefulness. You heard that one? Or maybe you've heard it this way. I need to be more like Jesus. I think this claim cuts against the gospel, but I'm amazed at how many people use an appeal to it. I know dear friends, they live their life this way. How can I be most useful for Jesus? How can I be more like Jesus? What would Jesus do? And and what I say to them, what I say to them is, go for it. Whatever's in your heart to do for Jesus, you better do it. Go for it. That's awesome. If it's in your heart, go, 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 maximize away. But if you think about it in light of our core, you should have some misgivings. Because you should be informed a certain way. You know that this is love. Not that we loved him, but that he loves us. Right? That's First John 4.10. This is what love is. Jesus loves you. And you come very close. You're starting to spin the cycle when you start thinking, okay, I'm going to maximize me. Let's go make it about my love. Say, Dax, I'm just responding. So I say, great, respond, do it, go for it. But, but be careful because, because you're, you're, you're going to slip into thinking that it's about your acts and love that, that God is after. And he's not after that. He stay at the core. It's about Jesus loves you. Jesus didn't save you, unworthy nobody, I'm talking to myself and to you. Jesus didn't save you in order to make you a strong somebody. 
He didn't. He didn't save you to maximize you in a way that you can measure and know. This is super important. Jesus came and lived and died and rose from the dead. He's alive and he's in charge. He did not give us a puzzle to figure out while he went to sleep. This is my core. It's yours too. Jesus died and saved me. And he rose from the dead. And he's alive. Who's in charge? Jesus is. Who's able to do whatever he wants? Jesus is. Well, I'm just going to give him a little help. Dude, who do you think you are? Right? Because this is what the maximized usefulness slips into. It's putting yourself in the center, deciding what to do, what's the best action, what's the right choice. When you're really bad at that, you're really bad at what's the right choice. Why? I'm not God. I have no idea of exactly how he's using me. Say, well, I have the Bible and I can... Yeah, you can see dimly as through a mirror, right? What a veil, what is it? First Corinthians 13? Right now, I don't see very well. And I make even poorer choices. It comes from this thing called the garden when I ate of this fruit of the knowledge of good and evil and now I think I'm deciding stuff. I had to die to that to come into Christ where I say, Jesus, I'm nothing. All I'm going to do is trust you and I'm going to trust even right now that you're using me. This is where I go for people that struggle with this. Okay, my dad, who who built 500 churches in Africa and was amazing, fantastic, and my mom too. But my dad's the example because he's a go-getter. Go get it done. Go maximize. And then he got a crippling disease that puts him in a wheelchair. And for the last 10 years, he's been in a wheelchair, people helping him go to bed, helping him to the bathroom, helping him. In which setting is he more useful to God? How is he, in which setting is he maximizing usefulness? And what exactly is he maximizing anyway? So you see, if you start to think about it and you really start to unpack it, you start to see, wait a minute, I have no idea. I, I, and the easy answer is, of course, when he was building 500 churches and helping the church of God over there, that's so much better. But you know what? You have no idea how God wants to use him because God can use anybody and everywhere at every time to do the things he wants. So maybe what he wants is for people to serve my dad. And in serving my dad, as my mom serves my dad, as, as other people come and help dad, they're actually getting the benefit of a, of, of a helping someone in need. Maybe God really likes that happening. Maybe God really likes that my dad sings songs in his head to Jesus. I don't know. That, that's kind of the point, right? I don't know. But in my stupidness, in my daxness, in myself, I start to rank and say, okay, well, the best thing is to do, the very number one thing is overseas missions. And if not, it's, it's missions locally. And then it's how many times I go to church. And then what a bunch of pile of bahooey. Because I could be watching TV with someone sitting next to me and make some random comment. And guess who could use that in that person's life? God. I could give a candy bar to somebody on the street. The Holy Spirit could make that the best, coolest work ever. In fact, that's kind of the thing in Matthew, right, where the guys are before Jesus and they're going, Hey, Jesus, we didn't do anything. Why are you saying come into heaven? Says, no, no, no. Remember that glass of water you gave to the person? Well, I, I just gave a well, I, That wasn't anything. They don't even know the good work they're doing. That's most of our good work, you know. Most of our good works are works you won't even know. That's what I think from the Bible. So why do I think that? Because I'm living in this core that just says, Jesus Christ, save me. I trust him. I don't just trust him that someday he'll put me in heaven. I trust him that he has me right now. 
and I need help because things happen to me right now as I lose my job or I get cancer or I struggle with with the divorce or, or I struggle with my own sin. I see all these things around me that I don't like and aren't good. I need other people to say, Dax, it's still true. Jesus forgives you. It worked. He's for you. That's my life, period. It's not, oh, Dax, if you would just pray more and do more, you would get out of that tough thing. That's going away from the core. Because it's about me. Okay, you, you, you get the point, right? You, the whole point of this idea of using the core, of having it drench you, is you start to trust Jesus everywhere. You start to trust him as you're brushing your teeth. You start to trust him, you start to trust him as, as your life is falling apart, as well as when you're climbing a mountain and God is just blessing you with abundance. You start to trust him all the time and you say, hey, I want to respond to this amazing core, but, I, but it's the core. It's nothing of me and all of Jesus. I do it really poorly. You do too. Does my theology accept that? Yes. Why? Because Jesus forgives even that. It's an amazing thing, this truth of the Bible. To do what's in your heart, to trust that God creates even in you the works that he wants you to do, that you will have the desire to want to do the things that you should be doing, and they won't be exactly the same as other people's. Have somebody right now that wants to go have a sidewalk seminary downtown and talk about Jesus. Have somebody else that wants to say, what I really want to do is to do some counseling and help people understand how to do their marriage better. Somebody else, I just want to, I just want to be with my kids in this season. Somebody else, you know what? I'm having a bunch of people over to watch the Seahawks game. Somebody, I, I can keep going, right? We all have different desires of things we want to do. It's all okay. Somebody wants to go work. Somebody wants to stay at home. Somebody wants to, these are not things we need to judge. There are things we need to trust that Jesus has us all. It's incredibly freeing that Jesus has you. You will most certainly die, and you will most certainly rise again. He will have used you and produced fruit in you. That is a promise. That's not a poke. It's amazing. Jesus does it. And therefore, you have your Romans. uh, Well, for example, let me give you just a couple as we close. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. The yoke of slavery is the yoke of the law. The yoke of Sinai. It's not now you're free to go be a better person. It's now you're free to be free. How does that fit in my theology? How does that fit with the core? Well, of course it's true. Jesus gave this to you. You're free. But if, if, if I sin, then I'm not really Jesus. What? Did he forgive you or not? For freedom he set you free. Be free. Realize that as you're free, you will have amazing things that God will use you in. And then we live here. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. (laughs) You see what's going on? There's no condemnation for you and me. You can live. It's a little scary because I want always, uh, this is what we want. And we've, we've made church into this. Let's go, let's go find somebody that will tell me what to do. It's really scary to say you're free. But guess what? It's the truth. You're free. Follow your heart. 
Do the things that are, that are, that, that are there. Follow those. Realize that you will sin. Sin is not good. Avoid it when you can. Of course, fight against it. But the reality is you will fall. And the word you need to hear continues to be, you're forgiven. Oh, Jesus forgave you. It worked. You're part of a new community that looks to the resurrection. New life that's coming to you and me by promise. That's the core. The core leads to forgiveness, not sin management. It leads to growth in trusting Jesus all the way through, not trying to manage things. It it leads to freedom, and we hear it, we soak in it, we open up and explore it. We bless somebody. We live real life. We know we have a God who will use you and and has you all the way through, no matter what it looks like. And and really, I, I could keep going. There's not enough time. We may need to explore a little bit how it works in the two kingdoms because there's things that happen here. The world works on merit. That's okay. You just got to realize it doesn't transfer over to the real kingdom of God. So important for you and me. Okay. Small steps for you and I today. Sin management, no. Sin forgiveness. Grow. Grow in trusting Jesus that he's got you. He's got you all the way through. No matter what your life looks like, no matter what your eyes are telling you, you have the promise of God. If you trust Jesus, he's using you. Let's pray.